Welcome again to the SEM podcast. I am your host, Zach Hewlett, and Jack Bryce is with us or will be with us here shortly. Today, we're joined by our friend Christian Lucas. Um, Christian, tell us where you're calling from today. Yeah, cool. So I'm, I'm calling from uh, Crewe. It's in Cheshire in England. My internet's working better than your, your American internet by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> must be must be something popular on the t- on the uh, streaming right now. Yeah, I think I, I heard Americans going downhill. Seems like it's true. Oh geez, throw us throw throw us some more. Come on, gonna start starting it early. <laughs> Pile it on. It's American <laughs> versus versus Britain right now. Here we go. All right, mate. So re- remind me, you are you from the Cheshire area, or you did you move there? Um, after like after yeah I, I basically grew up in cheshire from uh, kind of about six until i i left on my mission i've been kind of all over the place since then and and ended up back here so yeah this is where i'm from this is where i've stayed nice. very interesting life <laughs> no that's okay i mean teach their own it's it it's kind of uh, an interesting journey that we all go on right and that's some people stay home like if you listen to Coford's podcast you know he moved five minutes away from his parents house or whatever the distance is and to each their own right it's, it's exactly. all good so um just to remind you of the format we'll talk about pre-mission and anticipation of your call and then your reaction to getting your call to scotland skip over to life afterwards um after scotland and what you've been up to from then to now and then we'll go back through the mission so the floor is yours, Christian. Cool. Well, before I start, I just want to thank you and uh, Jack for setting this up. Uh, it's just a phenomenal thing. I listened to yours first and just the amount of kind of memories that came back. It was just like this tidal wave of reminiscence. Um, yeah. Just must have been so annoying for everybody around me for the next three days, you know, on my mission kind of stories. And they, they had to listen to all those. I had an interview with a girl who's going to come work for us, or she was going to. Um, if she was successful and she she um was talking about what she wanted to do with life and she was just missing the mark completely she's about 19 so I said right let's forget this interview let me talk to you how you're going to get there when I was 19 I was serving a mission and this mission gave me these skills and did that kind of thing and it just you know I was just so enthused about the the whole missionary experience just from listening to yours and then the other night I listened to Coford's and I was just chuckling away it's just fantastic now now, I don't know if you know this because you left pretty quick after President Frederick um, arrived. But his one of the things that he was told when he um, began his mission, that the success of his mission uh, would be measured by where his missionaries were in 10 years time. So I don't know if you know that at all, but this is just a fantastic uh, forum and a way for uh, for us to see where everyone's at. And if he's listening, President Frederick, we love you and thanks for everything you've done. And uh, I hope that he's he's pleased with where everyone is. From what I've heard so far, is uh, just you know really uplifting and inspirational way of uh, kind of keeping in touch and and just uh, yeah touching base and seeing where everyone is. So thanks for setting that up. Yeah, no, it's it's been a true pleasure for both Jack and I to reconnect both with companions and other fellow missionaries that we spent a good majority of time together with, and so. It's been really one of those things where it's a true labor of love, right? It's it's an opportunity for all of us to just come together, talk about life, and 
you know, enjoy the common times that we had together while we were in Scotland. And then beyond that, you know, know where, where people are and what we're up to nowadays. It's, you know, since Scotland, all of us have kind of scattered ourselves across the earth and it's fun to catch up and see what life has brought us since that time. So, yeah, absolutely. So I should probably get back on track, right? Oh yeah, you're good. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had my patriarchal blessing when I was uh, 12 years old. And by that point, I already had two missionaries uh, in our family serve with my two older brothers. My dad had served, they'd all gone to London. Um, and so, you know, even at that point, and before I, I knew I was going on a mission, it wasn't like a decision that I had to make before that. I went to a school with how many were most of the, the people in your school members of the church? For me, yes. I, I mean, I grew up in the south of Salt Lake City, so there was a pretty, pretty large majority. That's how it went. So for me, it was me and a sibling, one sibling. So, you know, every day I was, uh, I wasn't ashamed of the church. People knew I was a member. So every day I was talking about it and kind of defending it and um, being teased or bullied about it. And it wasn't, you know, an issue for me. I wasn't worried about sharing the gospel. I was excited for another two years of that kind of thing. Um, by 1819, that I suppose it started getting a bit more difficult. You know, the adversary always kind of throws some things in there to make it less enticing to go. And uh, my life was getting pretty established then. Um, I had uh, a job. I was an analytical chemist and a girlfriend. She wasn't a member. Um, I was going to uni as well part time. Um, but it was never anything in my mind that I was not going to go on a mission. And there was a a kid from my friends group at school, and his name was Carl. And he became like a a, a driving force or a motivator for me, not necessarily to serve. Um, but how I was going to serve. So he uh, ended up getting diagnosed with renal cancer. And it turned out that this was was terminal. And so he was, he was just a, a top guy. He had some genetic conditions which affected his mobility and his hearing. Um, but it, it didn't bother him at all. Um, he was teased about it and he teased everybody else about other stuff. And um, yeah, he just, he was just a fantastic guy. Anyway, to cut a long story short, um, he gave me a call and he is a Christian. You're kind of the only member of our friends group that's of any faith. Um, can you bring me some rosary beads? And I don't know why, but that really kind of hit me. You know, he's, he's a, my friend and he's asking for rosary beads. I've not taught him the plan of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's, he's you know, he's looking to pass over the veil. And I felt like I'd let him down. And so he became then like an inspiration, a reason for me to serve. Um, and so, yeah, that was my kind of decision to serve. Um, and that was a motivator for me throughout my mission. And uh, yeah, a, a good one, I think, because I didn't want to leave anything out there and feel like I was responsible ever again for somebody not knowing the things they needed to know uh, about the, the truthfulness about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Interesting. That's really cool. So as far as receiving your call, tell us that story. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I, I'm a summer baby. I'm probably the whitest person you will ever meet. And my skin doesn't like the sun very much, but my soul does. Um, I've had a, a, you know, a few sunburn issues, but I don't care. I love the sun. 
So when I was putting um, my application form in, I thought I was pretty good at Spanish. You know, I've done high school Spanish. I'm ready. And so I put, I'm, I'm going to want to go Spanish speaking. I put on need at least about four weeks notice. And just before I'd received my call, um, my bishop came and he gave me a blessing. And at the end of the blessing, he said, Christian, I've just got a distinct impression you're going to go somewhere cold. I've, got, I've just got this vision of uh, rain and snow. And I thought, yeah, whatever. I'm going to, I put Spanish speaking on the form. I'm going somewhere warm. Nowhere Spanish speaking is cold. Um, and so from that point on, randomly, I started getting just teased about are oh, you going to go to Scotland? You're going to go to Glasgow, particularly. Everybody was making you know you're going to go to Glasgow, <laughs> and I just started getting like, "There's no way I'm going to go. I'm just going to say no." They sent me to Glasgow. I'm saying no. It's um, you know, it's like you guys going to Idaho or something like. This. It's not far. I can get there on a train in three hours, and it's cold. It's miserable. We know the knife crime issue, and. Yeah, I was, I was. If I go to Glasgow, I'm going to say no, and that was that was my attitude. I was looking forward to going wherever I was going to go, except for Scotland. It was the last place I wanted to go. <laughs> so I went to, uh, <laughs> I went to, I went to work, and I'd never ever done this. I locked my keys in my car. I got like the nastiest, tiniest little car. It wasn't even mine; it's my mother's. Um, embarrassing, but I'd let lock the lock the keys in the car. So I called my parents and they said, yeah, we'll, we'll come and bring the keys. So I go out lunch. And weirdly, like, my parents had come and there's my mum, my dad, my sister, maybe I think it was a brother in the car as well. I mean, why are they all here? I open the car. They jump into my tiny little car. And uh, she hands me this envelope. And it's kind of sprung it on me. I wasn't ready. You know, I, I was, I was going to get you know psychologically prepared to open this thing and it'd be in my zone. But I opened it up. You are hereby called to serve in the Scotland Island permission. <laughs> and I, I've heard stories about everybody else. Oh, that's so cool. You know, Ella Coford had, uh, had, had, was just super excited about going to Scotland. Probably the same for you two. And I was just keeping the tears inside, waiting for my parents to leave the car. <laughs> they left the car and uh, I just I cried for about 10 minutes. I did not want to go to Scotland. Um and beyond that, they they'd given me three and a half weeks to get ready to go. I was that was in June, and I was due to go to the um, the MTC on July fifth. And so I had to give four weeks work uh, notice of work. I was going on holiday for a week and a half or so to Italy, and then I had to tell my girlfriend, who wasn't a member, by the way, in three weeks I'm going. It, it was just all horribly traumatic and nasty. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, not it's not the, the the exciting thing. Oh, we're going to Scotland that you guys get for for me it was right. This is a this is a trial of faith. Um, I I told my girlfriend I was going. That was all horrible and crying. Mm -hmm. And then um, I just rem remember just feeling horrible about this whole situation. Didn't want to go there. I was going to end up in Glasgow. I knew I was going to end up in Glasgow, <laughs> and so I just got on my knees. I got on my knees and I prayed. And that was one of the most faith-affirming experiences that I've ever had. From the top of my head to the tip of my toe, I could just feel peace just go through me. And I had no, no issues from then until the time I left the MTC. 
um, which was probably, I guess, then about six weeks. I was just, yeah, peace. And, you know, it's just a, a wonderful experience that when you need it, you pray for it, you know, God will grant you peace. And that was, that was my receiving call experience. I love it. Wow. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like the perspective that we've heard from you and also from other English missionaries we've talked to so far has all been pretty, pretty much the same, right? It's, it's, it's the equivalent of a Utah kid getting called to Idaho or, um, you know, just, it's a typical thing. And for us that are in, in America, like you said, we don't, we don't get that because we went, you know, international English speaking, even though it's not really traditional English by that, uh, by that definition. And, uh, so yeah, I can understand the, the trauma. I mean, uh, interestingly enough, there was a, a brother in my ward today that shared his, a little bit of his mission experience and he grew up in Colorado, got a mission call to the southernmost mission in Mexico, but didn't get a, uh, a visa. And so he got reassigned to the Salt Lake City South mission, which is where my family live. And, and I was like, man, that had to have been the most devastating thing. And, you know, and so I can relate to it, but not personally, just from other people's experience. So I get that. Um, but yeah, I, I get it. I mean, that had to have been a little bit of a challenge for you, but to hear the, the confirmation of peace that you received, that's an awesome, awesome story. So yeah, definitely. And then in the end, if, you know, it was, the, it was the best thing for me. And uh, that's the way it works, isn't it? You know, the Lord knows where you need to go, what you need to do. And even in your friend's case, there's the Elder Bednar gave that talk before COVID randomly about, it's not about where you, where you, where you're assigned or where you end up serving is that you serve. And um, I really felt that, that keenly. Yeah, for sure. Well, catch us up now from after the mission to now, what have you been up to since then? Yeah. So, um, it was a funny story, actually. I was serving with Stringfellow, and um, I had to come back for a university interview. And I was allowed, there's like five options. I think I accepted the three dental schools. It kind of gives away what I'm doing now. And uh, I think it was Elder Johnson. I had to get permission from the area president to leave the mission. And he said, you can take one companion with you. I was in a three at the time. I had to pay for his ticket. We've got to go. I've got to wear my badge the whole time. You can choose one interview to go to. And uh, so I, I chose Liverpool uh, University. We went down on the train and we weren't allowed to tell anybody that we'd left. Ella Stringfellow, I don't know if you've ever met him, but he, uh, he looks like a middle-aged man. He's, uh, you know, he was balding at 19. Uh, sorry, Brad, <laughs> if you're listening. Um, but he came down, he's like this middle-aged man that had groomed me and taken me to Liverpool. Um, so he'd... Uh, he, he was down there and I was sat, we went through this whole interview process and he was just there with his camera having a tourist opportunity and he took pictures of everything. And we got back, we just had to lie about why we had a Liverpool red um, tourist bus <laughs> on his camera. Um, but yeah, so that's where I ended up. I was pretty, I was pretty um, worried about the intense church culture that I I was going to go from to a very different university experience than than people had if they were going to BYU or any other church college. Um, but I got into Liverpool, which was amazing in itself. As I think you get 
and now I think it's like one in 30 applicants get accepted. So um, I felt that the Lord was was had a hand in that. And so I was there for five years. Um, and then after that, I've just worked as an associate dentist. Uh, one year I made three goals, three of my goals. One was to own my own practice. The second was to, to do a master's degree in, in something. The third was to run for parliament, which is a random goal. Um, and so I've, I've done all those things. I was finishing my master's at the University of Chester. Um, done another postgraduate diploma in the University of uh, South Wales. Done a bit of teaching in the University of Salford. Um, I ran randomly for Parliament a couple of years ago, which was a really fun experience. Um, so, kind of family family wise, I didn't get married till I was twenty nine. Um, options here are, are less than options there. I remember going back actually as it must be in 2007 I mean for the summer um and I met kind of everyone who was all partnered off they were getting married and it's like wow you you guys move quickly um but I, I dated around for quite a while and uh, ended up getting married to a girl from um North Ogden so I married her <laughs> in the end and uh, stole her and brought her back um a funny story actually she served in the Manchester mission where I am and she had a boy back home it's funny for me not for him uh she had a boy back home and uh, he was kind of getting ready for like wedding dates and things and i convinced her to come on a date and i i took her to italy and we spent like a week going around tuscany in the end she just thought my life was you know <laughs> really good <laughs> <laughs> well done she was less interested in this boy more interested in me <laughs> and uh so pretty quickly sealed the deal and uh she she got we tried to get married here and we got a letter through the post from we tried to get a visa for a, for a wedding and it was declined and at the bottom of the visa it said that basically it says our relationship was a sham which you can kind of understand because it was about two months and uh she at the bottom of the visa said that she had to leave she it was like a deportation notice and it was just horrific she had to go to the immigration office and uh she had to report to the police station every week and before she left and so we actually ended up getting married in the san diego temple and just randomly uh justin van leuven you might not know him but he, he turned up at the wedding we, we hardly had anybody there but he was just this random uh wedding crash it was so good to see him and finally we had um just just starting our family i know you guys have got kids that are nearly baptismal age or, or older we've got a baby boy coming in december finally worked out how it works and we're getting a baby on the way that's exciting good for you guys thank you that's amazing so you've you checked off all your boxes you got a family you've got your practice i, I enjoy i do follow you on your facebook page and it, it's always good to see the updates from your practice and you know i know anytime i'm i'm in the uk i know where to go for dental needs yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know. I know what you guys say about our, our dentistry here. Don't pretend like you think it's good. <laughs> Listen, the there's there's a difference between having some random doctor performs <laughs> you know a dental procedure on you, but to have someone you know and someone you like and someone you trust, that's a different story, right? So. We'll give exactly. you a you 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 are above the standard of what us Americans think of when it comes to 
healthcare in the UK. So don't worry about that. I appreciate that. We do actually get quite a lot of American dental tourists, believe it or not. So when I, that- when I do your group and I'll come and have a holiday and I'll do it for you. <laughs> Just because the cost is less or what? Yeah, well, I think so. I think it's like, look, we, it's about half the price. You guys get ripped off at the dentist. Yeah, but that's why uh, everybody has insurance and that's, that's not any fun. That's, anyway, that's why we get ripped off. You're right. Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> you can start at the MTC if you like, but go back through the mission and talk about that. And if there's fun yeah. memories on the way, let us know. Right. Just so, so you know, I had, uh, I had 19 companions. So we had 18, 18 transfers and 19 companions. It sounds like I was a problem missionary, and I'm, I'm not sure if I was. Um, maybe, maybe that's true. Um, but So I went into the MTC. It was July July the 5th. I'm thinking now. I hadn't even put it together, but the, the other American missionaries that had traveled in, they must have traveled on July 4th. And just that, that would have been weird. But um, there was six, 68 in our group. It's a huge group. I'm pretty sure that was the biggest group they've ever had. And wow. um, 16 of those was going to Scotland. And that, you probably remember this, but there was a massive transition. That was uh, Elder, uh, President Frederick's, I think it was his like, first proper intake. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess there was, must have been a good chunk leaving. And then, a, and then 16 of us, which about 15% of the mission coming in. And um, yeah, big, big group. So I was with Elder Stringfellow, Elder Stoddard, but other people in my group kind of... Uh, Clark, Ella Harrison, there's loads of Harrisons. We had Chad and David and Ella Buckley. We had Ella Money in our group. We had just a, a bunch of people that um, just carried on serving around in the mission, which was really nice, actually, to have that connection. You know, you get bound together pretty strongly in the MTC. And carrying yeah. that on as a kind of a, a group within the mission was, was nice as well. So it was the Preston MTC. And even though I was probably one hour from my house, 50 minutes from my house, I was, uh, it was a massive culture shock. <laughs> you know, you have, there's, I think it was me and one of the British guy and everybody else was American. And I think there was a couple of random Germans or something in or Scandinavians uh, that nobody will ever remember. But there was, uh, there's those, those guys there and you were all weird. Absolutely. You're all crazy. I remember there's this, Kids that was in the corridor and they were playing something called nutball, and basically they'd sit chairs across the, the corridor and they'd like bounce balls and try and get in each other's crotches. And I just thought, that's why is you guys are so immature? Um, but then I kind of got over that, learned how to wash my clothes in the MTC, all that kind of stuff that you don't learn until you're, you're out. And it was just a, a great, great experience. Um, our district was fantastic. All the people going to Scotland. We had the teachers, Brother Rushworth, Brother Monday, just fantastic guys teaching us with enthusiasm, uh, getting us ready to go. I remember I was in there for 14 days, not a long experience, um, but a meaningful one, and one with memories that last. Um, we go out chapping, tracting until you get to Scotland, and then randomly it's chapping. And... Um, it was with Elder Clark, and I remember just being there's, there's some there was some girl at the door that spoke to us for ten minutes, and we just thought, you know, we're going to baptize the world. We were so successful. Somebody spoke to us about the gospel, and we were able to talk to him. And leaving at 14, 14 days, just feeling so prepared, um, because of that experience, it's just like a, this kind of spiritual cocoon, isn't it, for fourteen days? 
um, and just a, a great experience. And then we'll go to the mission home in Scotland. There's too many of us to fit in the mission home. So we're kind of in these bed and breakfast. And the next day we get our trainer assignments. And um, at this point, I knew one family in the whole of Scotland. And I knew, you, you know where I didn't want to go, obviously. I was, I didn't want to go to Glasgow, right? And I knew <laughs> one family in the whole of Scotland. And you might know them, actually, uh, Zach. They were the, the Cool family, C-O-U-L-L. And I think they just moved from, he was my ex-bishop. And he literally, two or three months before, he'd moved to Buchan, um, which is in the Aberdeen zone. And Ooh. all the trainers are getting assigned. I'm getting towards the end. And then I get uh, Elder Megna, and we're going to Aberdeen. I'm pretty sure we whitewashed in to Aberdeen. And I was thinking, right, not Glasgow. That's fantastic. Great. Aberdeen, I'm pretty excited about that. I know somebody there. So, you know, my confidence was building. <clears throat> and so, um, yeah, if we were whitewashed in, on the train up, I distinctly remember him asking about goals. And do you remember Tobias Megner? Yeah, we actually spoke to him just a few days ago. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I went to see him afterwards. He's got a beautiful wife and I, he's got a couple of kids. That just just a, a top guy. We were going up and I was saying, oh, I think we should baptize like five or six people, this transfers. And, and he was like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay um maybe <laughs> and his goal was very different to mine his goal was it was his last six weeks his goal was i'm gonna knock on more doors than i've ever knocked before in my mission i think he just come from being a dundee zone leader and so he meant it as well so he he was determined that that was his goal knock on as many doors as possible so we get to the flat it was thistle court just off union street this high rise you get to the second second floor or something it's over two two floor uh, two floors and we get in there's like barbecue burn stains on the furniture i've got no idea what missionaries were doing in there before barbecue burn stains on the, on the furniture you had this bathroom where there's linoleum floor and every time it was windy the wind would somehow get in and it would blow up like a tent this this place was nasty and we had we had um the windows were covered with tin foil al al aluminum foil <laughs> it's just, it looked like a drug den and that's what we got that's what we've gone into so it's like great well i can deal with this and actually at this point i was i was starting to struggle a little bit that kind of piece that i'd received in the mtc i was struggling actually i don't know if you knew i was struggling zap um, but I had a, I had a really. You kept it to yourself. Well, I mean, you well, could have yeah. shared, but yeah. So, I, well, this is actually what happened. I called my dad. Right, dad, I don't want to be here. Come get me. You know, it's, it's seven hour driving. Come get me. My dad, my dad says no. I'm not coming to get you. You'll stay in there. Um, and then I called President Frederick. I oh, will pray for you. Elder Sister Frederick tells me, well. Drink some Sprite, you'll be all right. <laughs> you know, it's the great advice. Um, so I, I was really struggling. And Elder Magna was fantastic, though. He didn't make a big deal of it, gave me a blessing. And then we went to work. And we knocked on more doors than you, you could imagine, right? So he, Elder Magna was efficient. German guy, he knows what efficiency is. So 
this is how it worked. No lunchtime. We'll take our lunch with us. We got 30 minutes to eat it. And we'll knock the doors from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. And he took efficiency to like the next level. He wouldn't poo for five days straight. Right? Oh my gosh. On the fifth day, he takes he takes the enzyme into the bathroom. He'll tell you this. And it takes it takes him 45 minutes to get five days out. But he's, he's there for 45 minutes. That's it. That's his bathroom time, 45 minutes. Everything else, knocking doors. So I, I worked it out. I reckon if we we did about 30 to 40 doors an hour because we never got in any. <laughs> and we did about 10 and a half hour days. We knocked in that six weeks about twelve to 13,000 doors. And we got in zero doors. I was horrific. Oh gosh. Terrible. But this is what I needed. I needed just to get to work, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll go in there. We'll go and knock doors. And we got in one door, actually, and that was on exchanges with Elder Pattenden. And uh, he missed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. He, so, didn't, uh, he didn't want me anyway. Yeah. So, you, so needed, was, you needed some English love. Oh, yeah, it was, it, well, it was fantastic. You, you, you two were really good for me, actually. You took, except for when you didn't take us shopping on a freaking P-Day. I mean, it's a walk. Because you were off doing some castle tour or something. Anyway, oh, shoot. Not that I'm bitter. Awful, <laughs> awful. Anyway, so, yeah, that was it. But we had some good times. We went to the, you know, the Payne's house for dinner. We went to, I can't remember what the family was called. We went to Bankery Devonick and there's a massive bull in the field. And just just cool things to remember there. I remember we were at the Payne's house with you and Elder Pattenden. And Sister Payne had some bread. And I remember just being you know pretty green and asked her for the breast not the bread do you remember that i do remember that <laughs> and i just thought what have i done this is state president's wife <laughs> asking for the breast and then i mean so i said i can have the breast and then i thought oh i mean the breast i said it twice i asked for the breast twice and uh finally asked for the bread but oh my gosh that whole day <laughs> and then, and then uh, let me come out and uh you know, Pattenden is complaining because you've just been to the bathroom and you're, and you're still passing gas. So I just remember you used to complain about that a lot. So I've taken oh. it to the toilet humor. That's, that, you know, I've I had regularity, unlike Elder Megner. Oh, my gosh. No, yeah, zero problems there. He, he, no gas. <laughs> he, he probably let it out once every five days. Um, Jeez Louise. <laughs> but I remember that, that was a horrible experience. Well, not the horrible, it was like a it was a, a kind of coming of age missionary experience, knocking all those doors. Those times you've got no idea the relief from knocking on doors, going to dinner appointments, or spending time with the, you two on P days and things like that. It was, you know, pressure, precious time for me. That was that was nice. Um yeah. but but yeah, good good times in Aberdeen. We actually had um, an investigator called Tanda, and we planned to teach her. She'd kind of been failing a little bit, so we kind of got her back on track, got her committing, and I said, right, we're getting to the third lesson. Alan Megner had never taught a third lesson in his whole mission. He'd never taught a third lesson, never asked oh. anybody to be baptized. So I said, like, we're going to do this before you go home. And so we took Scott Christie, and we took him with us, and um, we asked her to be to be baptized. We taught the third lesson, asked her to be baptized. I and that was, she said, yes. 
I think that made Elder Megna's uh, Elder Megna's mission. All those doors knocked on were, were just worthwhile. She was fantastic. She um, she came to church. She was baptized, and just a just a wonderful experience. That although we had zero success in everything else, the Lord gave us this kind of little tidbit of success to to, to motivate us and keep us going. Uh, Scott Christie then very very soon after went on on his mission, um, and it was good. So yeah, that was that was Aberdeen. And do you remember you had uh, COVID in Bockholt? We were in Peterhead. Yep. I was so I was so I don't know if I was jealous or they, they I felt like they were just messing around in Peterhead, <laughs> and they just had they were just teaching loads of people. We come yeah. to district meetings and we've given our numbers, and we'd be like, yeah, we've, we've, we've zero lessons uh zero baptism invites zero schedule we had time to maybe one schedule every now and again and they were teaching loads of people and they were having loads of fun and you can just see they were getting on well and I, how are these guys having so much success and they're just having a, they're just having a blast up there and i remember my first mission president interview with uh, president frederick and he must have thought I was bipolar or something because, you know, one week I'm on the phone saying I want to go home. The next is, what are we doing? We shouldn't be knocking on doors. I'm probably for 25 minutes. I've, I've given all these scriptures, all the preach my gospel. We shouldn't be knocking on doors. This is a terrible idea. Elder Coford and Elder Bot Colt, they're just having a good time and teaching loads of people. Now we should be, we should be doing that. And uh, I was so embarrassed because that was before the zone conference and during the zone conference, we just gave the whole thing about laying out member missionary work. And I just felt like a right idiot. Um, that I was telling him what he should be doing, and he, he already knew. So yeah, that was uh, that was that was Aberdeen. No, it wasn't actually because I had Elder Harlow next. Yeah, that's right. Because, that was uh, a fun six. That was a fun six weeks. Yeah, it was, it was a different six weeks. Um, it was fun, definitely. Elder Harlow is is a top chap and just like lovely, you know, just a nice, just a nice, genuine fellow. Uh, he told me to juggle and the, the experience there was very different because I was like, you know, 13,000 doors last transfer, Elder, what are we going to do this time? And um, he brought the map out. I'd never done this before. He brought the map out and said, right, we're going to pray. And we're going to pray until until we get three three street names that we both feel we should go to. The map of Aberdeen. I don't know how many streets are in Aberdeen. There's a lot of streets yeah. in Aberdeen. So I, I, we, sometimes we would pray for an hour. I would get so frustrated. But we're, this isn't how we, we just get out. We'll see people. And you just really work very different to me. But it was um, it was good, though. And I think just just kind of having a different experience, almost like a follow-up trainer with him, was great. Um, and I, I, I do remember enjoying myself more uh, in, in that time and being less kind of frantic. Uh, with knocking on doors well we had a good time i think that was the time we did johnny lingo right yes it was <laughs> I, how did i end up you and you were cross-dressing <laughs> there was very what, little dressing no no you, no, you, no. Oh, come you on. were the relief society president that, that <laughs> you were the relief society president in that, like, so for people that are listening this uh, we um the elders forum had this like video night right and we had to come up with like um videos of i don't know what it was it's like an oscars night and everybody every ward did 
did one, all the the auxiliaries did one. The eldest quorum did Johnny Lingo Lingo thing. I don't. Somehow I ended up being Johnny Linguino. <laughs> you ended up being the Relief Society president, and whoever the guy was, the eldest quorum president at the end was like wearing a dress and having his hair flowing and wearing a woman's wig. It's all very strange. That was Jeremy Lamro. That's it, Jeremy Lamro. <laughs> <laughs> He was the best, the best Moana, not Moana, Mohana that we could have asked for. Oh my gosh. I get that mixed up now because Disney took that name. But yeah, Mohana, oh my gosh. Mohana, you ugly. And he, uh, he gave I, me, I mean, I got a, a, a book tap from him as we went off on our honeymoon. <laughs> the worst, the funniest part about that whole thing is that I had the role of being the release society president for that one quick scene. And the rest of the time I was the guy recording it. And so I was like trying not to speak so that I could be heard on the camera, but you could hear very, very distinctly as you walk out the door, I was like, slap his butt. And then Jeremy <laughs> slapped you. <laughs> and, and I'm trying to contain myself because we were laughing so hard during the filming that I was like, man, there's no way I would I would make it in Hollywood. I'd just be laughing the whole time. So, oh, but yeah. I was hashtag I mean, me too. I didn't even know it. Man, that was so much fun though. I mean, no, and, and, uh, and having um, uh, Brother Goldie, Sean, as like your Monty Python and the Holy Grail, like he had coconuts he was <laughs> smacking behind you like you're riding a horse i think maybe Jack you need to you need to put a link to it along with this uh with this cast I, I think i think i do i really do i'll have to i know i have a copy of it um so maybe i'll have to upload it on here so that people could see it because they'll get a good laugh out of it well also also uh maybe not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, but, oh, but the goldies, man. goldies were fantastic, and uh, I remember they had that Baskin Robbins shop, and it was moves night. Yeah. So kind of move on now from from Aberdeen. We had we had move nights, and um, and it, and it happened. I got called to Glasgow. <laughs> I was terrified, man. We went. I think we went to Bishop Goldie's house, and we all had ice cream, and then we had moves, and I was so anxious, I threw up all night. I don't know if you remember that. And I like trying to pretend that it was food poisoning from Baskin and Robbins. It wasn't. I was. I was just. <laughs> I was sick as a dog about going to Glasgow. I'd got called to Bishop Briggs in the in Glasgow, and oh, I did not want to go there. Horrific. So that was. But that was my. Next, that was my next area. So I went with uh, Daniel Wilkinson. You might. Okay. You two. He was there for a while. You two might know him, and. He was the exact right companion that I needed. I think you told me, you said, don't worry, he's pretty street smart. He's from Liverpool. And uh, so I got there. He's a swearer. He would curse. He dropped F-bombs. <laughs> Jeez. So, so not on purpose. It's just that's his, uh, you know, that's that's his background. I think he had a really, really rough background and top, top missionary. And I won't tell you some of his story. You should get him on. He's got crazy stories. Um, but he was tough. I think he'd been involved in a lot of uh, well, he, he knew what he knew his way around a city and how to handle himself, which was great because I did not. Um, and, and I didn't want a Glasgow smile. 
I never wanted a Glasgow kiss. Nothing like that. That wasn't for me. I remember the, <laughs> the first night we were there, we were supposed to go to a choir practice. So we'd put all our stuff in the flat. We'd whitewashed in. I, th- I think we whitewashed in because Glasgow had like zero missionaries in it. They'd all fallen out. The mission and the, and the, the stake had fallen out. And President Frederick was trying to refoster these relations. So we, we got there and put our stuff, and then we were going to this choir practice as a start to, you know, warm up with the members. And we get to the bus stop in the in the city centre, and you know what my thoughts were about Glasgow? We're standing for the bus. There's about eight Neds, and I've never used the word Ned since I've left Scotland. And we had eight Neds. They come with scarves around the head. And there must have been some construction work around the corner because they came with scaffolding, scaffold joints, and they just come to this bus and they just start like it was like something from a war zone. They were throwing these scaffolding through the, the windows and they were smashing all the windows. All the people got off the bus and they were like hoopering and hollering and riding around on these bikes until the bus was trashed and then they left. And then I was thinking, it's all true. Glasgow is it's all true. I'm going to die here. And uh, oh, it was just terrible. I've never seen anything like that since. Just that one, that first night was when I saw this this whole thing go down. I thought I, I went to the war zone and I'm going to get murdered. It was just horrific. Anyway. Um, <laughs> that, that was probably intentionally so that they'd say, let's get the worst of it out of you. And yeah. they'd be like, okay. If anything is worse than that, uh, clearly I know I'm in trouble, but that was the worst well, bit. Uh, you were there, fine. There was, there was some worse stuff than that, but that was later on because I ended up oh, in Glasgow on. twice. Um, so that, yeah, <laughs> that, was the worst, that was the worst thing. But then we had kind of Marcus McBride, Creighton Petty. They were the, the zone leaders. And uh, I just kind of – there's this big push to to open up, up Glasgow, and we were part of that, and it was it was difficult. There's the, the relationships, as I said, between the members and the missionaries was was frosty. I don't know what had happened before, um, but there were there were issues there. And then they had went from kind of two missionaries for Julian Avenue Ward, which must have covered about one and a half million people. That's is crazy. Two missionaries for one and a half million people, and then all of a sudden they kind of put twelve, fourteen in in this one ward. It was like you know that was a culture shock for them. They all of a sudden we were asking them to do stuff, and. Um, but yeah, really good. The leadership at that point, Ella, Ella Petty and um, Marcus McBride, just exactly what they were. They were so enthusiastic, and um, just fantastic chaps. You should get both those on on here. Yeah, it's def- they're definitely ones we're. I've reached out to Petty. I haven't been able to find Marcus. I don't know why. He must have gotten rid of his social media. But if you have contact with him, let me know. Yeah, I will. Um, so yeah, that was Daniel Wilkinson. And then I need to zip through these because I had loads of companions. So uh, next was Elder Guyman. Elder Guyman had nine sisters. He was the one boy at the end of nine sisters. Can you imagine that? No, I cannot. No. So anyway, bless he was, his heart. Yeah, he was a, he was a singer. We got on well because of that, um, and we kind of had that that shared thing. I remember that by Bishop Briggs. We didn't have very much success at all there. Um, but I remember we changed washing powder and it turns out I'm allergic to biological washing powder and my, my garments have been washed in this stuff. And essentially if you can imagine anywhere that your underwear touches, it just turns like this red, angry rash. Oh no. And so I'm calling sister Frederick. She's telling me to drink Sprite. 
No, she doesn't. She's like, right, you, you just got to do what you got to do, Elder. And uh, I had to kind of wear different underwear and stuff, and I felt like a terrible missionary. And I remember this one time, my thighs are like weeping and bleeding. And Elder Guyman, there was a reason, but we'd missed the bus. And it meant a half an hour walk. And ordinarily, that's fine. But when you're crippled, like I was crippled, we got back and we were wet and I was bleeding. And I that I, I need to tell him I'm sorry for that because I was so I was so narky with him. But that's the only time I ever really felt like I was I was upset with somebody and Julie. Um but yeah, that was a horrible, horrible time. I remember I had two suits, four shirts, six shirts, something like that, and four lots of trousers. And there was just days there, it was just horizontal rain. And you'd come back, get changed, go out, get wet. And we ran out of clothes. And so we had to sit in the flat for an hour while the tumble dryer is going. And that, yeah, that's that's my kind of lasting memories of Bishop Briggs. Um, we had one time, actually, Elder Patton, didn't, and that's President Frederick, to organise this music group. And so I got to bring my trumpet. And we did like a, a, a Remembrance Day service. I called the council up and said, is anybody doing anything? They said, no, so right, we're going to come. And we sang some hymns and I took my trumpet to the top between Buchanan Street and Socky Hall Street. It's like the opera house and the steps up there. So I, um, 11 o'clock, I'm playing the last post on the trumpet. You never, it is amazing. I had such a power rush that everybody stopped. There must have been like 3,000 people on the street stopped, except for one guy who needed to get somewhere. He kept like awkwardly moving. But yeah, we had, so, we had, a, we had a good time there. I think um, it was just kind of moving the work forward, getting the members on board. President Frederick had this this vision of um, member missionary work, and it was kind of just turning those wheels and getting those things started. We had a little bit of success, I suppose. There was the chunders that were there, and um, we taught a, a girl called Million, which uh, Elder Gustafson, you'll remember, ended up baptizing a little bit later on. Um, but, yeah, that, that was my time there. And then um, I escaped the Glasgow Triangle after after three months. So uh, yeah, that was that was Glasgow for the first time. So then I ended up going to Chinatown with Elder Wong. And um, so Elder Wong, uh, you two probably won't know him. I think he came out before you came came in, but he was he was a missionary that was you need to get him on for a different perspective. He's he'd be amazing, but he was assigned he was the first assigned chinese speaking missionary for scotland ever and he was the only one and he'd had um, a missionary before him i think he struggled with him i was moving in became district leader in in that area in in edinburgh which by the way felt like heaven compared to my glasgow experience i'm sorry for anybody from glasgow who's listening by the way i love it now now i can come back as a tourist um, <laughs> But yeah, so we, we served together. He's a machine. You'd never seen he would stop every everybody that looked remotely Asian. He would just stop them. He's like the biggest racial profiler in the mission. Sometimes they'd be Japanese and get really upset, but he would just he would just stop everybody. And Elder Hardy was the was the zone leader at that time. I'm sure I'm sure he had like a stash of steroids, that guy. He was just, you know, if you know remember him, he had like these this square head. He's like a jock. And he would start, he was he was our zone leader. I was the district leader. He'd get us all up and we'd do like this weird boot camp thing. And he would just hate everybody. He was fantastic. Um, <laughs> top guy. And he just treated us all like he was on, we were on his American football team. 
but I really appreciated that. I loved it. He just kind of drove us, drove us, drove us. Um, but yeah, Chinatown, that was a weird experience for me because I was used to teaching. And then all of a sudden I can't speak Chinese. And so there was a very, it was a weird, weird, like experience dynamic. A lot, sometimes the Chinese people would speak English and then that, that would be helpful. I was essentially um, a helper for Elder Wong, a companion for him to do his thing. And he was amazing at it. And yeah, just you would never, you'll never meet a missionary so devoted to the call that he had. So full of energy, no matter how things were going. There wasn't too much success at the beginning, but towards the end, he did phenomenally well once he'd built and built and built. He was in the same area, the whole of his mission. He had just that one call to, to teach um, and then to baptize Chinese people. Um, with him, actually, was the big turning point in my mission. We had, I was with Bishop Bird and we were scraping wallpaper off his house. And I think he should pay me for that because now he's loaded working for Apple or something in the States. So um, we were there and we were talking about girls. And he's like, you got a girl at home, old Lucas? I said, yeah, she's nice. Uh, how long have you been out? About eight months. Yeah, you get dear John about eight months. That's like, that's the time you get dear John. And uh, my eight month mark was the next day. Through the door came two letters. <laughs> one from my mum telling me this girl was seeing somebody else. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and one, uh, terrible. And one from this girl saying she was seeing somebody else. Awful. It's like the worst thing ever. And uh, for, I don't know if anybody listening being dear John, this. It's funny for everybody else, but it's not funny for you. No. Uh, so I remember I asked Elder Wong actually what his, his abiding memory of our time together was. And that was it. <laughs> Lucas <laughs> <laughs> getting dear John, um, but he was fantastic. You know, he was he, he took the lead. He said, "Right, let's get out. We'll do some work." And that's how we, that's how you manage stuff, right? You just get out and get on with it. And uh, yeah, yeah fantastic. He's just fantastic. I love Elder Wong, and um, yeah, Justin. If you if you're listening, um, yeah, reach out. We'll hang out, and I'll come to Texas. I think you need an extra special visa to get there, don't you? Um, so. So I'll come come hang out and uh, we'll do that. But there's one there was one guy we saw actually, and we brought President Frederick along. This guy, thinking back, he was nowhere near ready for anything, and I asked him to be baptized. And uh, President Frederick afterwards, he said, "Oh, Lucas, what are you doing?" He was <laughs> he was nowhere near ready to be baptized. But then he said, "Actually, I've thought about it, and we should be doing that more." And then that's kind of it was a shift in the mission where we started being more kind of um more assertive more confident looking to preach my gospel asking people to be baptized from the first lesson as it says there and so that was that was really good kind of my my confidence in teaching and asking and um, was was really growing then um and then that was it six short weeks i get another companion so i leave there and we had the met in the meadows we had elder Bowton. Um, and LDE hat, and they were struggling a little bit, so they just switched us, and and it worked a treat. You can say, you know, there's revelation in those mission calls. And so LDE hat went to um, he went to Chinatown and loved being with all the Chinese folk, eating the weird chicken claws and strange food. And I I ended up in the meadows with with Bouton, which was uh, which was good. Do you ever do you, do you guys ever serve in Edinburgh? Nope. I did not. Nope. Thomas Land. We missed out. Fantastic place. So uh, we, yeah, we, we were, were we were meant we were meant for outside of Edinburgh. We were too big for too big for that. 
too big for that. Edinburgh couldn't handle him too. No way. Yeah, it wasn't ready for wasn't ready for Hewlett and and Jack. So yeah, so uh, <laughs> we were there. We had a nice flat. That was that was nice. We had a dishwasher. It was massive. Um, we had lovely desks. It was, I was it was nice. And actually, it was the the best connected uh, area in terms of public transport. And by the end of it, we were teaching so much that we they gave us a car. Um, I pretty much had a car from then on. Actually, it was it was phenomenal. We were teaching. I went from you know being in Aberdeen, we were teaching zero to almost like fully. We stopped knocking doors. That was that was the thing. We stopped tapping on doors, and we went from no lessons to like fifty lessons, a bunch of people scheduled. You know, loads loads of stuff going on. And Elder Mountain was struggling, and he's a, he's a really nice kid. And if, if I've got a regret there, it's I, I really pushed him hard. Um, and maybe a little bit too hard, not really kind of recognizing where he was at. Um, but was there's a couple of there's one lady there, Mary Wright, she lived on the Royal Mile, and I'm I'm convinced he was sent for for her. They had a really good connection, and uh, she entered the waters of baptism. And just seeing him struggling, but still feeling the spirit as he taught this lady and that connectedness is that's, you know, that's what it's all about. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we do. And um, just recognizing, remembering what the purpose is for him was, was phenomenal. And for me to watch that and to watch her enter the waters of baptism was really good. Um, there was one lady, this is a, a miracle story for, for this area. There's a guy called Jamie Cairns who was in Edinburgh. I remember he just bought his, there was a girl that he bought with him. So at uh, the end of the sacrament, I went and chatted with Ben and said, you know, she didn't realize she wasn't a member. Gave him the number, say, you know, if you ever want to want to get taught, you just give us a call. Um, about two months later, I get this call from Jamie saying, hey, she's ready to get taught now. And so um, I go over. I don't know why. I did Greeny then, uh, Alan Slater, top guy, but he was, he ended up going with Bouts and I ended up going with um, Elder McConkie. And no, I think he was with us actually. So we went and taught this this lady, and she was saying that she'd um, she was she'd been to this fireside there, and President Yates had invited everybody there that wasn't baptized to pick a date that they were going to get baptized. So I said, "What was your date?" And she says, "No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the date is. It's uh, it's not it's not doable." Um, so I go on. What was your date? So this was a Tuesday, and her date was the Saturday. So this fireside was like six months ago. And the date that was coming up was the Saturday. I said, well, let's do it. Let's do it. So she said, okay. So um, we just scheduled in all the all the um, lessons that were needed. And we went Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We got to Friday. I'm getting this phone call from Jamie saying, you know, she's, she's really anxious. And she's not feeling good about getting baptized at all. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to do it. So okay, well let's let's come over. We'll teach you. So I took Elder McConkie this time. I had this lesson plan. It's fantastic. You know, we're going to get her straight, and she's going to get baptized the next day. Um. So I showed her just this this testimony from um, like I think a special witnesses of Christ. And then I just had this distinct impression, um, what I needed to do next, and it made zero sense. So I said, right, what we're going to do now? You just watch this little video for five minutes. Read Joseph Smith history. Um, gave it the verses to read, and we're going to leave, and then we'll come back again. 
So we leave Elder McConkie. He's like, what are you doing? Um, and we walk around Elder McConkie and, uh, and Jamie Cairns. And we go back in half an hour later. And she's crying. And she's, she said, I feel great. I feel wonderful. I really, really um, connect with what Joseph Smith was saying. I know it's true. I'm going to get baptized tomorrow. And the next day she was baptized. And for me, I think sometimes we get caught up. I know I did. I read back some of my journals. I was such a prideful idiot. And sometimes you just, it's, it's literally is not us teaching. It's the spirit that teaches. And that was, it, it, there was nobody else in the room. It was 100% the spirit that was teaching. We just left her to feel the spirit, heed the teaching, and gave her the testimony that she needed to gain the confidence, overcome the anxiety and the the, the, the fiery darts to, to enter the waters of baptism. Phenomenal experience. And um, yeah, keeping contact. She's on Facebook now, and they all went to, and they went to Japan, Tokyo, and she's uh, they're doing really well. That's amazing. Yeah, I need to because I. I've got tons of companions left and we're running out of time. So then I moved to Glasgow, back to Glasgow, sucked back in, vortex. Um, and I was there for 10 months again. So I'd been there already for three months, Julian Avenue Ward, back to Julian Avenue Ward uh, after six months hiatus in, in Edinburgh. And I was there for 10 whole months as only there in Glasgow. And that wow. was tough. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd felt like I'd done my Glasgow stint. Uh, yeah, managed it, survived back to the exact same area. Not the area, but the same ward. People in the ward didn't even realize I'd gone. I'd gone for six weeks, uh, six months. I come back, oh, Lucas, how are you doing? And uh, actually, the guy, Sandy Duncanson. I was in that ward for 13 months. I saw Sandy Duncanson at the temple and he was looking at me and so, where did you serve your mission? Sandy, I was in your ward for 13 months. How did you, <laughs> you forget? Um, so, I need to talk about hammer time. You two will not know what that is. So, um, Glasgow Zone, um, I was introduced to the idea of Hammer Time. So, I replaced Elder Brian, who'd become assistant. I was with Elder Stringfellow. And <clears throat> yeah, we'd, uh, they'd come up with this principle of Hammer Time. I don't know, uh, I don't know what had happened. I don't know the background of the, the inception of Hammer Time. But everybody that is from me and afterwards will know what this means. They'll have either positive feelings or very negative feelings about it. So I feel like I need to explain a little bit. So essentially, it was kind of we were exactly obedient with accountability. And um, that was kind of implemented pretty heavily. So, um, yeah, we just demanded that from everybody, from ourselves, from from the other missionaries and that com combined with the missionary work, we went from baptizing nine in a year in Glasgow zone to that month baptizing 30 and every month after that, 30, 32, 28, you know, consistently baptizing a lot of people. And it was all down to that. It was down to that. Some people I know um, will have negative feelings about that approach. And so for anybody that was upset about how that went, I, I am, personally sorry if uh, you feel like that was that was something that went uh, too far from certain people but for me it was it was something that was just uh, very kind of preach my gospel orientated exact obedience and it made it made people there's people like Coford who really jumped on board with it there's um, other, others as well that just Van Leuven actually um, just missionaries like that who just when they got on board just phenomenal uh, human beings got it got to work got a lot of success because of it um 
so yeah that's that was the, the thing so there i served with stringfellow um i served we from that point on no more knocking on doors i served with stringfellow and i was with elder johnson elder garrett smith elder money elder fistler it was weird because i would stay missionary would come go come go and i was thinking when's my turn when am i going to get out of here i was well and truly stuck in you know the, the, the pinnacle of this glasgow triangle the blackest blackest parts of the glasgow triangle was where elder lucas was and i just remember thinking what's going on the, the leadership started asking for me to leave They'd go to the um, they go to these. We, we stopped getting invited. I don't know why they didn't like me very much. Um, I, I we had the missionaries saying that they've been to the state presidency's house, and he was like, "Yeah, we've asked for him to leave. He won't be here for very long." I was there for like another six months after that, and it, it just kept happening. Missionaries come, missionaries go, missionaries. and like one, they loved all the ward loved Jeremiah Johnson. Um, he was, yeah, and I love him. Fantastic. He left. And then because I'd been there for so long, these missionaries kept coming. Can we come? The ward started thinking I was like this dictator of the zone and that I'd I'd somehow engineered Elder Johnson to leave because he was taking power or something. It was like weird, weird stuff going on. But, that, but it didn't matter. We were baptizing, baptizing, baptizing. Um, I remember once there was this one, one girl called Gillian and I'd – had a personal commitment that I wasn't going to baptize one person. We we're going to bring everybody to the waters of baptism and then a member would baptize them. Um, so they had that kind of connectivity to somebody in the ward that would be abiding and lasting. And she was having a baptismal interview and I was in the room next door and I was telling this commitment to her friend. And then she came in and asked me to baptize and I said, no. And it was just like, <laughs> so I, I ended up baptizing her anyway. And so, but anyway, we came outside of her flat and um, I remember looking left, and there was just this massive gang of Neds. And luckily, our car was there. So we went to a car, looked right, and there's this other massive gang of Neds. Now, in this particular area of Glasgow, you'd walk past the streets, and there's like bars, there's pieces of wood with nails in, just in the gardens. I asked her, what, what's, what is with this stuff in people's gardens? She said, they're koshes. And what's a kosh? She said, if, if you're a person that needs this weapon, you can't just have it, carry it around. So they just like hide them in people's gardens. So these this gang, they're all getting these coshes from from the gardens. And there's like chains and there's these metal poles. And we just sat in the car and outside of this thing after this baptismal interview, there's just two gangs just like collide. And there's this almighty brawl. So we're sitting there, we had popcorn, we're getting the popcorn out. I was there. <laughs> It was scary stuff like that, man. That was uh, that was scary. Anyway, she she, she got baptized. <laughs> so yeah, was, and then, then we baptized her sister as well. It was, it was pretty cool. I remember with Elder Johnson actually, we had a just a funny story. There was something in Spring Boy that happened, and we were out later than uh, perhaps we should have been. But it was one of those necessary evils. And we were driving back from Spring Boy to to the West End, and um. We drive through the city centre. We go through the city. We got flashed, you know, on double-decker buses. There's women flashing missionaries from the top. Uh, anyway, so we decided that we, we'd drive back. And we it was a Friday night. There's lots of scantily clad women. So they need to... They need to <laughs> I don't know whose idea. I don't even know why I'm telling you this story. It just comes to my mind. 
So we drive up next. We say, "Hey, we're we're mysteries." We shouldn't have said the church's name, but I think we did. And uh, we we come to teach you a lesson. They come to the the carners, the, like with short skirts and whatnot. And we're just, Ella Johnson. I'm pretty sure it's him. I said with so many, it could be a blur. It could be Garrett Smith. So apologise if it's if I'm besmirching names here. Hands over a law of chastity pamphlet. And we give them these love chastity pamphlets out. We'd wait about 20 seconds for them to realize what it was. They were nuts. And then we'd just kind of drive away. So <laughs> oh, my gosh. We had, we, had, we, had a, we had a good time there. Um, but, yeah, Elder Johnson, top top man. Get him on. He's fantastic. Went from him with uh, then Elder McCullers. Elder McCullers, uh, I've never eaten so much than with that guy. He loved his takeaways. We had a guy who's uh, we, we baptized called Razor. He went, he was working in one of these, um, I think it was like a Turkish fish and chip shop or something like that. We'd go every day, just give us free stuff. Oh man, this makes me feel sick just thinking about it. But he was fun there with with him. Um, we we gave Donny Osmond a sacrament meeting. We had a we had a five hour baptism. We had a five hour baptism. We had a we, <laughs> we had a guy we were teaching. We had a girlfriend in our area and a wife in Pollock. And they didn't oh. know that. <laughs> the girlfriend had a ba- like two babies and one on the way, and the wife had three kids. I didn't even know he was married. Anyway, we get this phone call, and he says, can, we, can you come and pray at my, my wife's mother's died, and they're having this funeral. So we, sure, we'll come. We didn't realize he wasn't talking about his girlfriend. So we, he then takes us to Pollock. We go into this thing. that Everyone's having this massive party and this video. And we know he's got a girlfriend across across town. It was the weirdest thing. Anyway, this guy had a friend. This guy had a friend who uh, was from London, and she, he brought her to church with him. And she was phenomenal. Her name was Temi. And I think we taught her at 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, we committed to be baptized. We got permission. Because permission from the mission president. Bishop was fine with it. And so we taught her at 9 o'clock. We, we then should gospel principles was another lesson after church while the font was filling we taught the next lessons and and then five hours after we met her she was baptized and uh, confirmed member of the church so we then had all our information fantastic experience what a wonderful lady of faith she was and then handed those details that's how it went we we, we would uh i think elder coford gave a story about graham buchanan and how he was baptized the end of another baptism the, the font was empty he says he wants to get baptized with frantically like you know pans and heating kettles up and chucking all the water in and people will get baptized pretty quick and it's uh yeah those those were good days um all of a sudden we've gone from baptizing hardly anybody to just you know that the work had, had gotten a pace um yeah so then i was with elder gary smith i can't remember what happened on a lot of this stuff my journal is dreadful i wrote in it <laughs> like six more months because i would probably put depression stuff in there or whatever oh, and um, so yeah so then uh, garrett smith fantastic i can't remember anything i just remember we had a lot of fun he was good and then last last one in glasgow was elder fistler uh, matt fistler he definitely has to come and um yeah i've been there now i was in glasgow nine and a half months i've been in glasgow for then 12 and a half months in the same ward unbelievable and uh, this this time so i was jealous of covid at the beginning i was jealous of covid now so i need to i've repented of this but i'll share it so i'm last time i'd seen covid he was like this goofball in peterhead 
And he'd become district leader. He was only in Edinburgh, Edinburgh for like three months or something. And then he'd just been made assistant. I was like, what? I hated people that aspired. That's not true. I hated the aspiring nature that some people had. And I hated that I, I had this jealousy and that uh, he was he was called to be he's like a goofball what's he doing how's how's this going on i've been passed up i'm stuck president i'm still here in glasgow 10 months later right and so i had to get over that it was like a week that i had to get over that and but we had some we had some good times the mission had a goal of 238 baptisms which is double the the previous years and we had this boy john o'rourke and um, he's one of Elton van Leuven's um investigators in the zone and there's something happened. He couldn't get baptized in the font. I don't know what had happened. The font wasn't working. There was an issue with the bishop or whatever. And President Frederick said, right, we've got to baptize him. John wanted to get baptized in a lock. So we decided, right, can't use the font. Off to Loch Lomond. So this is the 12th of December. It's cold. We get there. Oh it's starting gosh. to snow a little bit. Really, really cold. It's starting to snow a little bit. We've got his young men's president. He was a recent convert. was baptizing him. And so we've got this photograph, and there's me, El Fisler, uh, Van Leeuwen, his companion, John O'Rourke, and the young man's president, they're dressed in white. He gets in, right, uh, in freezing cold. The young man's president attempts to baptise him once, foot comes up. Does it twice, puts him under, he said the wrong words. Third time, he's done. The young man's president gets out, I can't do it anymore, I can't feel my toes, nothing. This lad is... He's full of the spirit, he's full of fire, he's fine, wants to carry on. I'm the only person that fits in this, this young men's president's clothes because I'm little and he was <laughs> little. So there was this little shed next to the next to the lock. Um, he got out of his clothes. I put his wet baptismal clothes on and I ended up going in, in, um, in the lock and baptising John for the, for the 238th one. Man, that's cold. I never felt I never felt the cold after that. I think like my nerve endings had died or something while I was in there. But that was that was an incredible experience. That firstly in the lock, secondly in the snow, not a good experience really, or not one that I planned. Um, but just a, a fantastic memory there, and that was for, that was with Elder Fistler. Um, one last story with him. So do you remember I was saying that he got well? There's two stories. So one, the nutball thing from the MTC, right? You immature yeah. member. Somehow that had creeped back into our mission. Uh, I think it was Justin Van Leeuwen that had, that had done it, and he and he done it to the uh, ward mission leader. It was just terrible. Anyway, so somehow that creeped back in, and Fistler and I would like somehow there's like an opportunity to just like throw something at each other's crotch because that's really mature, you know. There's one time we were so tired, we'd come we'd come back from whatever we were doing. And he was just like dead on his feet and he's sticking his arms up and he's like leaning into the door frame like this and his arms are stretched and his legs are stretched. I got these juggling balls from when Elder Harlow told me to juggle, right? <laughs> They're on the, uh, there's like a little shelf next to the door. Elder Fistler's talking, he's so tired, his eyes are like half closed, but it's just perfect. You know, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't pass this opportunity up. <laughs> so I grabbed this mini juggling ball and I just let rip and fight. It was, I'm, I know I didn't play baseball or anything, but I was a good shot. It's like aim, perfect aim. And he just doubled over. Now, if anybody knows Matt, he's really hard to get angry. 
really hard. You can try, and he just won't do it. He was angry. <laughs> and so I did what any self-respecting man would do and lock myself in the bathroom <laughs> um, while he was just raging outside. And now I've, I've, gone to, I've gone too far. I've gone too far. That's not what we're going to do. This is bad for me. And uh, on the side of the sink was this little Tupperware thing. I was wearing baggy trousers. I hatched a little plan. So I uh, I got the little Tupperware tub, popped it down as like a little protective cover. And I said, all right, Elder, I'm coming out. You're right. So I came out and I said, fair play. I've gone too far. You can have a free shot. I knew it wasn't going to hurt. I was, I was protected. Um, but to his credit, he didn't take it. And uh, that's kind of the, that's the, that, that for me is the measure of the man that is the artist. And because I knew six weeks before, that's Garrett Smith. He's taking the shot and he's going to enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, good, good thing. Last thing. So the, the, the Ned bus thing, when I was saying there's more violence than that, right? So he and I were in this high rise flat in Mary Hill, which, by the way, was, was uh, one of the, there's, areas on the map that was covered in a pirate skull like a skull and crossbones <laughs> what the heck what is this Hustle Park Mary Hill both had skull and crossbones over we ignored that we didn't really know what that meant anyway so so we yeah uh, there was this Lamb of God thing somebody had ordered once we went and it was like the 20 so there's 30 floors it was right on the top and so we're not going to know nobody's there we like little note through the letterbox and we said, all right, we're here. Let's start chapping on the door. So we chap on the door. This guy comes out the door next door and he's like, what are you doing here? Get out of my building. And we, we were so stupid. We asked him if he wanted to, to be baptized because that's what we did. <clears throat> he thought he, he thought we were just being disrespectful and maybe we were. And so he's getting right in Elder Fistler's face. And he said, OK, right, we'll, we'll leave. So we don't leave. We go to the 29th floor. We're just knocking on doors. And then all of a sudden we just hear this. And we're like, what the heck is that? And so we look to the right. Now, anybody's been in these high flats, the way it works, there's a lift in the middle. There's a stairwell on the right-hand side. There's a stairwell on the left-hand side. Some guy pops his head through the stairwell door and he's, there they are, get them. Right? I kid you not, there's about six people, baseball bats, knives, the whole shebang, right? I am terrified. So I see what's going on here, and I'm like, Elder, run. Matt's a little slower than I am. His reactions were, were not quick. And so he, he takes about two or three seconds to realize what's going on. So we run down the, the stairwell on the other side while three of them start chasing us, three of them get in the lift. And so I'm just running, bam, 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 down. We're just not steps. We're just clearing all the steps, running down. My Jesus of Christ, falling out of my bag in you know, slow motion. and Luckily, Elder Fistler's behind me because they're going to get somebody. <laughs> it was going to be him, not me. So I, I uh, down down the stairs, down the stairs, twenty nine floors. We get to the bottom. We're quicker than the guys above us. We get to the the bottom of the um, the stairwell and we run across the front of the building. Bing! The lift doors open and there's like these three other guys with the knives and baseball bats start chasing us. And we get into the car. And Elder Fistler, just drive the car, drive the car, drive the car. And they're getting, they're like smacking on the car. 
and it's like it's something from a comedy sketch. We were stuck in, so I was kind of reversing for it. And we got away. But that was absolutely for the, for the next two days. I was like shaking, and for, for still now, I've got damage to my foot and hip on the right hand side from just running and jumping down those stairs. And turns out oh these guys were bragging about it uh, all around, saying they were going to kill us. The next day we were at a member's house or a less active's house, and they were telling us the stories that they'd heard at school about this gang that uh, had done this, and apparently they'd like killed an, an asylum seeker or something the day before. Scary stuff, man. Scary wow. stuff. But I love Glasgow. Glasgow's a great place. I have no reason to be scared of Glasgow. Lovely place. <laughs> yeah, no, no reason at all. Right, so yeah, just just finally, because I know time is running on, but then I was I had 19 companions though. It's your own fault for making me go through them. <laughs> you've got so to, you've got said, to hold the record of of some sort in the mission. Well, I've I never heard so. that. Does anybody that's had more than 19 companions, I'd, I'd like to know. So then I was I was called to us to be I was as assigned to be assistant with Elder Stringfield and the COVID. And this this point. We were teaching somebody at this, at this point in Glasgow, Amy Asante, she was a PhD law student, fantastic, so clever. And we had this real connection. We felt like we were getting somewhere. President Frederick gives me a call. <clears throat> so we'd like to call you to the office. <clears throat> when to come and be assistant? So, and and remind, remember, six weeks before, I'm, I'm like gutted that COVID's gone. I'm asking, I'm saying, that can, let's do it next moves. I've got this, we've got this amazing investigator. I don't want to leave. It's like, because that's, that's not really how it works. Um, we're calling you into the office. And for me, that was, you know, that was a big shift. And I needed that shift to, to, to remember why I was there and uh, to do that. We had a lot of fun in the office. Um, Coford, you know, is just a hoot. So fun. I was with Stringfellow again, um, Stringfellow again for, for six weeks and then Coford for three months, maybe another six weeks. And then Elder Johnson at the end, which I served with the, for the second time was, one last funny story was with uh, Elder Coford. So we had Elder Holland had visited the mission. And so we we had to get all that kind of stuff ready. Now, we started off in Aberdeen. We got up about four or five o'clock in the morning. Um, and we were tired all the time. You probably remember that. Just mm-hmm. both of you just tired all the time. So five or six o'clock in the morning, we're going up to, to Aberdeen. Um, I'm driving. I have a tendency to drive a little bit too fast. Um, not anymore in case this incriminates me. So <laughs> Elder Coford would do this thing. If I was like anywhere near starting to fall asleep in the car, which missionaries do, I don't know how we all survive. I have no idea how we all survive. He would just grab me on the leg, like just like a wake up. Anyway, so on the way there, he's grabbed me. I'm kind of like half asleep. And I'm driving this car and he and he goes to grab me on the leg and there's a common theme here but he missed my leg and and caused me significant pain from what he actually grabbed <laughs> and I'm, I'm going i'm probably driving 80 90 miles an hour and i'm just like all over the all over the motorway and i was i was ticked with him we like didn't talk for about 10 15 minutes what are you, what are you doing and uh, obviously, I thought he was to blame. He thought I was to blame for falling asleep, and it was just a mistake. Anyway, so that was on the way there. On the way back, <clears throat> Elder, Elder Holland and Elder Care were driving driving back to Edinburgh, and we had some stuff to, to, to do. So I'm driving back. We're going from the road between Aberdeen and Dundee, and then Dundee to Edinburgh. So we're on the fourth road, which is between Aberdeen and Dundee. 
and I'm driving along now. I, I, I'm, uh, I hope nobody listens to this that gets me in trouble. But I, I get in trouble anyway, so I'm driving too fast. I'm driving 114 miles an hour in the mission car. The car going to crash. Fastest I've ever done there is 135 in that car. And the mission van, by the way, 115. If anybody's beat that, you let me know. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's a stretch between uh, between Aberdeen, uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh that's like downhill for about 15 miles. Mission van, that's the fastest I could get it on that bit. So anybody beats that, you let me know. Anyway, so the, I'm going 114 miles now. I look in the rearview mirror and I just see this police car. No sirens, just blue lights. And I think, oh no, this is this is not good. Elder Clark, by the way, is in the back because he's been playing his cello. And uh, yeah, these this police car is. And I'm just ignorantly thinking maybe it's not for me. So I just like pretend no, it's not me. So move into the slow lane and just like <laughs> keeping my head down then they move into the slow lane and uh yeah pulled over apparently they were following me for like four or five minutes before i'd realized so yeah 114 miles an hour so i'm getting out of this i'm getting out of the car elder clark is waiting himself in the back and he's taking this video so there's a video out there somewhere of me getting put in the back of a police car and um, so please take me out as i'm getting pushed into the back of the police car there's a Jaguar drives past. In the passenger seat of the Jaguar is Elder Holland. <laughs> Just like watching me getting pushed in the back of this police car. Elder, you couldn't ride this car. Elder Care, it was driving, and they're just watching me getting, but I couldn't, I didn't, it couldn't be any worse. Oh my God. <laughs> so I get in the back of this police car, I know what's going to happen. I'm in trouble. I'm probably going to get my license taken off. Anything over 100 is an automatic ban. The guy says, right, I'm going to book you at 99.7 or whatever it was, and we'll see what happens to you. And because uh, he sees I'm a missionary, I think he's being kind, whatever. And then, um, so Elder Clark, so this, I want to see this video. So if he's got it, you can see if he can send it to me. Back in the, <laughs> in the car, I'm driving like 30 miles an hour all the way home. <laughs> so we get back and... Uh, I'm hoping they've not seen and that somehow me seeing Elder Holland give me eye contact getting pushed in the back of this this car. Elder Care comes up to the kitchen where I'm and he's, he's Elder Lucas, are you okay? Everything go all right? <laughs> they'd seen the whole thing. So then uh, President Frederick gets me in. What happened? So I told him what happened. And he was so good with me. He just said, you know, don't tell anybody. I'm telling everybody now. Last Friday, I was sat at a red light, and uh, I don't know what overcame me, but I just decided to go. And I drove through the red light, and there's a police car across the road, and he just got given three points as well, so it made me feel good. But that was, uh, you know, that was that was the the assistant ship. Um, terrible, terrible thing. But yeah, that was that's the mission then. So after that, um, we we prayed about who was going to replace me in the the transfer process. And there was a missionary who was phenomenal, a phenomenal missionary who we thought, you know, he's he's bang on. He needs to, he needs to be the next guy. And we just felt it's not him. I don't think it was anything for him. It's just um, we felt so good about Tobias Halford. He was he was going to come in. And after I left, um, the the whole hammer time thing was was changed, and and felt like there was more love needed to be brought into the mission. And I feel like after I left, the, we'd, we'd done what we needed to do. We'd changed the dynamics. We got that success there. And then um, the obedience was there. 
and they'll be helping Nelda Johnson uh, kind of brought some more softness, more love into the mission, which was just phenomenal. So, yeah, really, really good experience. I loved my mission. Um, just thinking back, you know, it was hard. It was difficult. I was tired all the time. And just thinking back, just the things we did was nuts. And it's kind of set a, set a, set a precedent for the rest of my life because I still do nuts things, and which I would never, ever be like um, if I hadn't served around people like like you and Coford and Hardy, Peacock, uh, you know, cra- crazy folk. And uh, I'm really, really. <laughs> well, thank <painful>. you. That's amazing. Well, I'm glad that we had a, a positive influence on you in some semblance of the <laughs> word. Yeah. Well, listen, I married an American girl. Um, and I love I love the American culture, the you know Mexican food. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not American culture. That's Mexican <laughs> culture. No, I'm, I'm serious though. It's uh, it's <laughs> I, I love having kind of a foot in both camps, and mission mission started that. So, yeah, good good positive experience. No, I I appreciate all the things you shared, and it sounds like. You know, similar to other missionaries that served after the time that I was there, you know, the mission changed in quite a drastic click to the point where there was just so much going on and so many new ways of doing missionary work. Like, I'm I'm looking at your 13,000 doors knocked with Elder Megner to a point yeah. in the mission where you did not knock doors anymore, which, you know, I, Jack and I heard that the first time and i was like i can't imagine what that even even looks like you know because in our in our time with president sister vereens the promise was the more you chapped the hotter your wife would be and if it was raining it was even better (laughs) yeah (laughs) so uh, you know it's just such a an amazing dynamic and a shift that clearly was needed in that land and to involve the members and to continually grow the the church family you know it wasn't about us right it was about the the members of the wards and the branches getting involved and understanding that they have an integral say and a part in missionary work just as much as we did as full-time missionaries so that's it's really cool to hear that experience from your perspective yeah 100 percent. but it was about us as well like i look at the the missionaries um from that i know and see what they're doing now i mean the mission just made them there's just some people doing phenomenal things and um yeah i i can't imagine they would be doing that and being the way they are in their wards in their jobs in their families if it wasn't for the experience that they had in scotland and uh, i'm grateful for that because i know the the influence that it's had on, on both my testimony um but also on everything every part of my life is affected uh, by those two years in a positive way. Love to hear that. Well, you've mentioned quite a few missionaries in our conversation today. Is there anyone else you can think of that you want to hear from as we're continuing in this endeavor? Right. I've been thinking about this, right? It's 2022 and we had sister missionaries uh, in the mission as well. And I would love to hear from Andrea Holmquist, um, who was just a phenomenal uh, sister missionary. I mean, they were all phenomenal. 
Um, I served around her quite a bit and, uh, and she's doing some great things now and it'd be great to hear from her. Um, I've mentioned Justin Wong in terms of just a different um, perspective of mission. His was just amazing. It'd be great to hear from him. Um, so yeah, particularly those, those two, I think it'd be great to hear from them and, and see how they're getting on. And of course the ultimate is uh, you've got to get president Frederick on. Yeah, that would be, we, we are uh, talking to president sister of Reigns here in the near future. Um, as far as uh, the Fredericks, I haven't had contact with them since I got home. Yeah, you, you should. Um, you should. You, I think you're getting Alistair Martin, Richard McConkie on soon. Um, yeah, certain they reach out. They'd, they'd come on. Well, I hope so. It's worth a go. We're actually, uh, yeah, we're talking to Alistair and Richard next week, and so um, we'll see if they can put us in touch with the Fredericks. I mean. I'm going to share an interesting experience I had after my mission. So I was in, in Newport beach, California with my wife and her family on a family vacation. And we came out to our car on our way out and lo and behold, the people that were staying directly below us was president sister Frederick and their, their family. And that one family tribe. Yeah. I mean, there's a huge group of, mostly boys and men. I couldn't believe it, but I hopped out of the car and I said, hello, it's good to see you. And I don't think they rem remembered me from Adam, like bless, bless their hearts. I mean, I was only in the mission for a short six months while, while they were kind of running around with their hair on fire. But I said, hi, I, I would, I'm elder Hewlett. I served underneath you in Scotland. And they were like, Oh, good to see you. And then there was like no conversation. And I was like, <laughs> I, I was in leadership training with you for months and months. And, and like, we talked on the phone all the time. How on earth do you not resonate that we had six months of our lives that were like intertwined, but yeah. you know, um, so again, it, it took a different level of missionary than myself to, <laughs> <laughs> to connect with them and get the, the ball rolling. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened right after I left. Yeah, no, they, they were fantastic. But, you know, to be fair, I think they must have had 250, 270 missionaries pass through. And I don't know, I, I imagine it'd be difficult. I, I was thinking about everything today um, over the past week or so and just trying to recall names and really thinking hard about it. Some of the times it's difficult. I'm, I might have even missed companions out. So if I have, I'm really sorry for those uh, that I've missed out, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to hear from them all the same, but at least uh, let them know about this so they can, they can see what everybody's doing and remember some things from uh, what I imagine must have been a phenomenal time in their lives. No, definitely. And, and that's truly one of the invitations that we've presented to those that are on this podcast is to share that with your mission presidents or share it with other significant people in your mission. Um, you know, even the members in Scotland just say, Hey, I, I talked about you or mentioned you in a, in a, a podcast that I did thinking about Scotland. Hope you're doing well, you know, just like a touch point opportunity as well that hopefully can reconnect people in some semblance. Um, but more than anything, I know that we'll get many of missionaries from areas beyond myself and vice versa even before jack's time and my time that 
has really been quite interesting. I mean, we've also had uh, missionaries that have invited us to have President Wilkinson on, who was before President Sister Vrains. And I hadn't even thought about that because that was before me and before Jack, but still not an impossibility. It's just a matter of putting all those things together. So we'll definitely keep that in mind. Yeah, fantastic. And for this one, you can pop this one through a lawyer just in case I've uh, said something I shouldn't have said. As as much as I wish we could, you know, maybe we have one of our fellow missionaries that might come on and uh, and let us know if we've you've said too much or whatever. But <laughs> cool. Well, thank you again, guys. I really appreciate it. A little nice uh, trip down memory lane. Yeah, well, we really appreciate your time. And uh, Jack, do you have any parting thoughts? No, thank you. That was a that was a whirlwind tour for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's condensing two years into like an hour and a bit. It's uh, it's crazy. I know it can be, but you know, nonetheless, it'll spark some more memories. We've had past guests that have come back to us and said, "You know what? I should have talked about a heck of a lot more things," and you know, they've forgotten about. And some of this is that prompting to dig out your missionary box and go through your journals and try and remember some of those things because you never know. I mean, those things are important. There's a reason why we wrote them down. So, yeah. well, Christian, thank you again. We really appreciate you. We love you as a, one of our brothers from Scotland. And, uh, we look forward to talking with you more and more and in the uh, interim, let us know if there's anything that we can be of assistance to, but thank you for taking time with us today. Uh, and again, thank you for everything you two are doing. It's fantastic. Awesome. We love you, Christian. Have a good rest of your night, brother. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye, man.